Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be Lamech's Vengeance. Let's begin today in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, beginning in the 15th verse, it says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Verse 22 told us, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. This is an important verse. The idea behind it is that we should be willing to always forgive those who wrong us, not just 490 times, but an infinite amount of times, because that's how we demonstrate God's love and grace towards those around us. The fact that we're told to do it to this extent shows the importance of it. We know that it's fundamental to our faith. We know that it's the reason why we're saved today. We know that it's something that we're called to show forth to the world. And this verse makes it even that much more clear. The wording of this verse is also important. It's interesting that God put a specific number here. Although he clearly means to do it innumerably, why would he still put an exact number? He could have said forgive always, forgive without ceasing, or in a million other ways that would have conveyed the same idea to do it continually. But he didn't. Why is that? Other versions of the Bible translate this verse in a slightly different way, but the difference is notable. In the English Standard Version, it's translated as, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. The NIV and a number of other versions also translate it this way. At first glance, that's a big discrepancy. 490 to 77. And it's easy to think that the better translation would be 490 because it makes the point far more clear as to what Jesus was actually saying. But at the same time, there's something special about the number 77 because there's only one other place in Scripture where we find it, and it has a direct correlation to this. Genesis chapter 4, verses 23 to 24 says, And Lamech said unto his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. This is the opposite of what we saw Jesus trying to communicate to us. Jesus told us to forgive 77 times, whereas Lamech wanted vengeance 77 times over. This is the natural man's default state of mind. When he's wronged or feels like he's been defrauded, his natural inclination doesn't tell him to forgive and forget the wrong. Not at all. That thought doesn't even cross his mind. Instead, it tells him to seek revenge and force the other person to make retribution in full. The natural man's mind is more transactional. It's not like the redeemed mind that calls for freely given, blind agape love. It doesn't want forgiveness, especially forgiveness that's free. If any forgiveness is ever to take place, 
the natural mind wants it earned after the wrong is made up for. Before we were saved, this was our state of mind too. We were far more inclined to wanting vengeance than wanting forgiveness. When Mech wanted retaliation, he wanted payback. He wasn't content to just forget about what happened, and he didn't want just an even score either. He wanted payback 77 times over. He wanted it with interest. How does a person get to that point where they want vengeance to such an extreme extent? It comes from emotion that isn't checked, emotion that turns into emotionalism by growing and festering to an unhealthy level, a level that becomes out of control. Wanting vengeance 77 times over isn't comparable, it's not fair, it's not understandable, it's brutal and it's cruel, and that's a characteristic of the unregenerate mind, the capacity for brutality and cruelty. Lamech wanted to indulge that capacity. The vast majority of Bible commentators believe Lamech killed the men he refers to here for self-defense in order to protect his own life. The classic Amplified Bible's translation of this says, Lamech said to his wives, Adda and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. For I have slain a man merely for wounding me, and a young man only for striking and bruising me. He wasn't wrong for killing a man in self-defense, but he said merely for and only for. That implies that there's a little more to the story than just self-defense. The intentions weren't quite that pure. Lamech doesn't make it sound like he was in danger of losing his life. He makes it sound like these were smaller, lesser wounds, which shows along with his desire for 77 times vengeance, an inclination he had towards excessiveness. He also had a tendency towards arrogance. He was boasting to his wives that he killed these men for small infractions. A footnote for the Amplified Bible's version of this verse says, Lamech arrogantly declares to his wives that if someone kills him, he will be entitled to far greater vengeance since he merely retaliated for harm suffered while Cain's murder of Abel was by comparison unprovoked. This shows us something else so we can learn from Lamech. This is something that we're all inclined to do at certain points, especially when we feel guilt for something that we did wrong. The greatest thing to do when we feel guilt is to repent to the sin and ask God's forgiveness. But many don't do that, and instead do what Lamech did, which is try to exonerate themselves by pointing the finger at someone else's sin, which they deem to be worse or more severe than their own. That's nothing new. That's been the same story since the first time guilt was ever felt. Adam pointed to Eve and blamed her. Then Eve pointed to and blamed the devil. Lamech was trying to sweep his guilt under the rug, by saying Cain's sin was far worse than his, so he should be avenged in a greater way. He was trying to pacify the guilt by deflection, but that doesn't work. The same way that not looking at something doesn't mean that it's not there. This is flawed thinking at its finest, and it's not just Lamech who did this. We've all done it, and we still do it, because it's been ingrained in human nature for this to be the carnal inclination. We think we're owed retribution because someone's defrauded us in some way, but then when it's pointed out that we've done the same to them, we want to justify it by saying what they did was worse or on a larger scale, so they're more in the wrong than we are. We all inherently know that this isn't true, especially as the people of God. We know that all sin is the same in the eyes of the Lord. But we do this because we want to avoid punishment, avoid judgment, avoid the guilt from being brought out into the light in a place where we had to face it head on. So we just keep deflecting hoping it'll disappear on its own. But that won't do anything. Guilt has to be dealt with or it'll never leave. And the only way to deal with it is forgiveness, 
both asking for it and being willing to give it. Let's go further in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, beginning in the 23rd verse, it says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. Here we find a parable that Jesus told to teach us about forgiveness. We're the servant in this parable. That's us before we were saved. Verse 24 told us, And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. The amount here, 10,000 talents, is significant. Most Bible commentators affirm that in today's money, this is at least around $3 million. That's an incredible sum for one man to pay back by himself. A servant, as a working man, having expenses not only for himself, but for his family, and all the other expenses that arise throughout life, would never be able to pay such a price. He could live another hundred years and not even come remotely close to it which is why Jesus used this specific number. Just like before, it's for a reason. It's to show the immensity of the debt owed. This man had no possible way of ever paying it back. So what's his option? His only option is to look for the master to have mercy and grace on him, to look to the master for forgiveness. Just like the servant, we've been in that same position. Our sin makes it so that our debt to the Lord is infinitely greater than we could ever pay. There's not even a chance for us to come even remotely close. We could do good works every second of every day for the rest of our lives and not even scratch the surface of what we owe. It's immense. But the good news is that God's love, His mercy, His grace are even more immense. And just like with the servant in the parable, He forgave us this impossibly large debt and let us walk free. The natural mind can't fathom such a thing. It's too great. It's too immense, and it's too antithetical to its way of thinking and its nature. Like Lamech, since the natural mind wants vengeance, that's what we expect from others. And really, before we were saved, that's what we expected from God too. That's why so many people think that God is an angry, cruel, judgmental God, just waiting to punish them the first chance he gets. When people adhere to that mindset, what they're really doing is projecting what's deep in their heart what their natural inclination is, to be God's, which couldn't be further from the truth. It's actually the exact opposite. While the natural mind wants to exact excessive vengeance, God wants to give excessive grace, and he wants you to be the recipient of it. He could have demanded retribution. He would have been perfectly justified in doing so, but he chose to exact vengeance on his own son so that you could go free. His love and his grace for you couldn't possibly be more excessive than that. Verse 26 said, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. This was said from a place of desperation. He knew there was no way to pay it all back. He knew that there was nothing that he could do to remedy the problem he was facing. Then verse 27 said, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. The immensity of the forgiveness we've received should make us want to forgive in the same way. But we find that the Lamechanus doesn't go away easily. It dies hard. Even after we've been forgiven and our mind is being renewed into what the Lord desires for it to be, 
the carnal mind still tries to assert its old ways upon us. Let's go even further in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, beginning in the 28th verse, it says, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called them, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Lamech wanted vengeance seventy-seven times over. Jesus told us to forgive seventy-seven times over. That was part of his mission for the restoration of all things, which is a thread that runs all throughout Scripture. Verse 28 said, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. This shows us one of the worst parts of our human nature. This man wanted forgiveness from those that he wronged, got it, and then still wanted vengeance from those who wronged him. He wasn't trying to resist the temptation to get revenge. He made provision for the flesh. He put himself in a position where he made sure he was going to get it no matter what. His fellow servant owed a hundred pence. That's another interesting choice of an amount. This was equivalent to a hundred days' wages. This wasn't nearly as astronomical as the other amount. It was something that even with other living expenses factored in, could be paid in a reasonable amount of time. It was possible. It could definitely be done. But the forgiven man wouldn't even consider forgiveness as an option. We also see the Lamech part of him rise up, when he wouldn't just confront him man to man and have a conversation, like someone would normally handle a matter like that. He had to attack him and grab him by the throat which shows us again that inclination for cruelty and brutality that lies deep within the carnal mind. Many Christians today do the same thing, maybe not in the literal physical sense, but when others wrong them, they resort to the cruel thing to do, which is to withhold forgiveness, to not love with agape love, and then hold it over their heads as a continual burden. We can't let the Lamech part of us survive. We can't let it rise to the surface. We need to continually resist it, continually thwart its plans and purposes. Jesus came to replace that desire for vengeance with a desire to forgive. Next, we need to backtrack a little bit and look at verse 21 again. It said, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? The choice for the words used here is very revealing. The term brother is especially important. The word in Greek means a member of the same religious community, especially a fellow Christian. This shows us what's really being said here. Peter wasn't referring to the worldly people who had wronged and insulted him. He wasn't talking about the people who had no belief in Christ and no understanding of forgiveness. He was talking about his fellow believers, his fellow servants. Peter wanted to know how many times was too much to forgive. How many times did he have to do it before he could let the Lamech side come to the surface? He wanted a numerical value. He wanted it to become transactional instead of free. 
How many times do we think the same thing? If people take a hard look in their heart, we'll find that we do it too. We all have. It may not be in the same words, but the thought behind it is exactly the same. Maybe we're willing to forgive, but only to a certain extent, only so far. But doing so only puts a limit and a boundary on something that was never designed to have one. Sometimes we do what the servant did to his fellow servant later on. After being forgiven of so much ourselves, we then turn around and refuse to give forgiveness to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The same way that the Lord had compassion on us and forgave us of an infinitely large debt, how much more should we forgive those who did comparatively small things to us? We all want forgiveness, and we all want it to be complete and infinite and eternal. But then when it comes time to give forgiveness, a lot of people change their tune, and we can't let that be us. We have to ask ourselves, though, why is it so hard for people to forgive? Why don't people resist their urges to be like Lamech? Why do people let that worst part of them rise to the surface? The main reason why people don't want to forgive is because they feel like doing so would rob what was done against them of its significance. In their mind, they think that if they just freely forgive and forget, it'll make it seem like the insult or the wrong or the injury didn't mean anything or didn't hurt them. And it's understandable why people would think that. But we can't underestimate God. He knows this part of our mind. He knows that this would be a concern that we would have, and he addresses it perfectly in his word. He doesn't think that those things done against us are insignificant, and we can't indulge that thought because that's not true at all. He understands their importance and the effect that they have on us, and he keeps a record of them. Verse 28 told us, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. We find here the hundred pence that we were looking at earlier, a hundred days wages. That's a unique sum. We have to look more closely at that. Why would Jesus use this exact amount? If Jesus was only trying to make a comparison between the infinitely great and the infinitely small, there were a number of much smaller coins that he could have chosen. But yet he chose a hundred pence, which was no insignificant amount. It was actually a very considerable amount. For perspective, John 6 and 7, referring to right before Jesus fed the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish, says, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. That was equal to the same amount, 100 pence, which would have been enough to feed half the men, 2,500 of them. So that's no small amount of money. The disciples, who were laborers and fishermen, would appreciate this amount. They knew it wasn't insignificant. And that's the point of why Jesus chose it. It wasn't insignificant. He's trying to tell us that he knows that the wrongs done against us aren't insignificant. They mean something. The hurt that they cause is real. It's potent. There's real pain attached. He knows that. But he still tells us, in spite of all of that, in spite of all those real feelings that we encounter, we still need to forgive. That's a hard lesson. And it's even harder to put it into action. But it can and it must be done. Although it's a considerable sum, it still pales in comparison to the 10,000 towns that we see the first servant forgiven of. And that disparity between them is to show us that even the worst of the wrongs committed against us, no matter how severe and significant they may be, are nothing when compared to the sin that we've committed against God. We ran up a much higher debt, an astronomically higher debt. So we can't know and recognize that fact and then turn around and refuse to forgive those who came against us. 
We have no excuse. God forgave us. He showed us firsthand what he expects from us, and it's our job to follow his lead. Today, we need to let the carnal desire for vengeance, the inclination for revenge, die away. It's hard. It's never easy, because that part of us desperately wants to maintain its place in our heart. But it can be removed, and that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He wants to take that burden upon himself, and he promises to do so. He makes that very clear. Romans 12 and 9 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not us. The same way we desire from God, all that he says belongs to us. We should desire to give him everything that belongs to him. So when we feel that desire for revenge, that longing for payback start to show itself, we need to give it to God. We need to lay it before him as an offering from a broken and contrite heart. A heart that may have suffered real wounds, but a heart that wants to be restored and made whole. God is a God of justice, and he won't suffer his people to be continually wronged and defrauded with no consequences. Those consequences will come in due time. We can be sure of it, but we have to let him do it in his timing. Because as a God of grace, the same way that he gave us a second chance, he does the same to those who have done wrong to us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, today we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that when you could have exacted retribution and vengeance on us and been perfectly justified in doing so, that you instead chose to exact vengeance on your own son in our place. Lord, we thank you that you freed us from that immense debt, that immense that we would have never been able to pay back on our own. Lord, we thank you that just like with the servant in the parable, that you had compassion on us and that you loved us with blind agape love in spite of all the wrong that we've done to you continually. Lord, we thank you that we're free. And Lord, help us to use that freedom in a way that will honor and glorify your name and help bring others to you. Lord, today we rebuke that desire for vengeance that works deep within our heart. We rebuke that Lamech side of us that tries to arise at the worst times. We rebuke that worst part of our human nature. Lord, we thank you that it can be rooted out of our life. We thank you that we're free to lay it before you on the altar as an offering before you and that you're going to send down the fire of the Holy Ghost to burn it away once and for all. Lord, we ask for the wisdom and the understanding to be willing to forgive those who have wronged us the same way that you forgave us. Lord, fix our perspective and give us that desire to love with agape love, that desire to forgive. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done, all that you're doing right now, and all the amazing, incredible good things that you have set apart for your people. And Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to be freely forgiven and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at Kingsword Bible Study at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review 
from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's word together.